I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Um, I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and I'm joined today by three of my body shop coaches, so Antonia, Laura, and Brian, who, of course, you will have heard of or heard from before in previous episodes. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. This week's episode, we're celebrating, obviously, a huge milestone. To get to 100 episodes is a big thing. It's been incredibly exciting. I've interviewed some amazing people, had some really interesting conversations, built a good network, and hopefully, above all, brought some really good value to you as the listener. But this this episode, we wanted to record this about social connections. So I thought, who better to, to share that topic with and get the insights from but my own colleagues? So that's what we're here to do. Guys, where do we want to kick this off? Well, I'd like to say congratulations on 100 episodes. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most enjoyable things I do, actually. So... And I should say, you know, we've got tens of thousands of downloads from all sorts of different parts of the globe. And that's just what we can record. I and mean, a lot of people stream it from the website. So it's very hard to know what the true impact is. But yeah, thank you very much. Okay, let's kick off. I found a study, actually. I mean, we all know what the impact of social connections, particularly on longevity and health. It's something that we're all interested in. But I found a study that really drove this home. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And it followed 700 men from teenage age onwards, from 1938. And they tracked them all the way through to today. In fact, apparently there's about 60 of them in their 90s who are still taking part in the study. And they found that it wasn't their successes in lives. It wasn't what they'd achieved. Um, it wasn't the consistency they got with things. What actually made them happier and healthier at the end was their social connections. So of those 700 men, the happiest and healthiest had really strong social connections and bonds. So I thought that that in itself was really interesting. What are your thoughts on that? So I would say in terms of longevity, I think as you mentioned before, we all know that it has a huge impact on longevity and health and this study obviously confirms it. But I think what people don't really appreciate is the fact how important they are. They always think that eat, eating well and exercising, that's all you need to do to be healthy and you know have a healthy life and longevity. But actually social connections are really really important and I think there are quite a few studies who now actually under stress the importance of social connections you know and having meaningful relationships not just 500 followers on, on Facebook yeah well you were going to say something well I mean that study is just absolutely phenomenal and you know this whole subject really resonates with me because I travel a lot and I've been traveling a lot for a long time and, you know, when I first started traveling, you know, I would, I would work in the UK for, you know, eight, nine, ten months and then travel for eight, nine, ten months. And I always thought of myself as like a, a loner, a lone wolf. I, I really enjoyed my own company and I still do. 
But in the last couple of years, I've started noticing this, I don't know, it's a little bit of sadness that's creeping in. And you know, I started noticing it because I would be in Mexico or Guatemala or Australia in these beautiful places experiencing such beautiful things and I didn't have any of my friends around me. You know, I had acquaintances that I kind of met on the road, but to have my best friends with me in those like beautiful, beautiful moments, I never had any of that. And I started to notice it. And so, you know, when you brought up this idea that we should talk about social connection, I, I jumped at it because it's so important. And I'm really realizing it now that although I'm still traveling and I don't really intend on stopping traveling, I'm very, very conscious that if I keep moving, it's difficult to build those real social connections because they take time. You know, really getting connected to other human beings takes you know, months and months and months at least, and in many cases, years. So that's something that really resonates with me, you know, about what you just said. Yeah. Uh, what impact did it have on your health? Nothing that I could really put my finger on. I mean, I never got sick or, you know, clinically depressed. I just became conscious that, you know, if I was on the beach in Mexico, like watching another beautiful sunset or having another surf, I started thinking a lot more, I wish my best friend was here. You know, I wish he was sitting with me in the water waiting for a wave because it's absolutely magic. You know, those experiences to me are absolutely magic. And I've only ever shared them with strangers and people that I don't have this deep connection to, you know. And, and this deep connection, I think it's something we really need to talk about because I know for a lot of men out there, what is that? What does a deep connection mean? And, you know, for me, like in my experience and, and mostly from stuff that I've read, I understand that. To have a deep connection with another human being, you know, you only get that after spending a, a lot of time with another human being, developing trust in that human being. And then once you have that trust, you can start to share your deepest fears and feelings and desires without the worry that this other human being is going to judge you or tell you that you're silly or you're weird. And that's how we build real, real deep connections. It takes time and it takes trust and vulnerability. Yeah, completely agree. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I totally, what Brian's saying really resonates with me as well. I think, you know, going back to what you said about the study, you know, we know from, even from the blue zones, which are the, you know, the zones of the world where people are living to an old, really old age and super healthy and happy. And from the human longevity project that was, was done more recently, one of the major components, if not the major component of what leads to that happiness and that health is community, it's tribe, it's belonging, it's having relationships, having that connection, meaningful human connection with other people. And I think all of that just really confirms what I think intuitively and inherently we all kind of know. And to Brian's point, experience that myself, moving to London and, and you know, being part of a, a new city and really trying to actually build relationships and, and build community, I certainly noticed myself the impact that that was having on my mental health. And for me, it was really noticeable. I noticed a significant difference in how I felt. And despite eating well and moving and doing all of the other things, which are really important, that lack of connection and community really did start to affect me. So my observations have been that when we talk about human connection, there's kind of different levels to it. So for me, there's almost three levels. So I think there's the physical side of things. 
which is the actual physical presence of actually having other humans around you and just not being completely isolated, but also human touch. And this is something I'm very interested in. The importance of having physical human touch is huge. And it's something that we're getting less and less in general. So there's that basic physical stuff. I think there's then the second thing is then really more the relationships, interactions with people, you know, having quality, meaningful interactions with other human beings. And then I think the third level for me is about really is kind of bigger than that. It's about the togetherness. So belonging, community, having shared purpose, contribution, social support, having that tribe around you, that as well is super important. So I think, yeah, there's different levels and different types of connection, but we really do need all of them to thrive. And we're seeing more and more studies, more and more evidence coming out that that is the case. Yeah, I absolutely love what you just said there. I've always wondered whether we should have a seventh signal. I say this tongue-in-cheek, really, but cool connection. I really love everything you've just said there. And it's a really interesting time to talk about this, I think, because we feel in many ways, and in many respects, we are genuinely hyper-connected. But how real is that connection? Social media connection, I think, is is generally quite superficial, what we're talking about. As you said, Laura, is that the touch and, and to your point, Brian, about the shared experience of waiting on a wave. And it's not really the likes and the retweets and all that kind of stuff. It's not really connection, but it's a, an interesting paradigm, isn't it, where we've never in some respects been so connected and yet so alone. I've got Absolutely. Office of National Statistics that said that 2.4 million adults in the UK are currently reported feeling lonely. And that's obviously those that have reported it. And that's not... It's not elderly people either. That's adults of all different ages. That's a a big chunk of people. It's about one quarter, maybe, of the population of London. Mm. It's hugely, and it's it's epidemic. I think that in terms of the causes of that disconnection, we've got a couple of things. As you said, the social media, this sort of online living, which means that we have lots of connections online, but we don't actually have that proper connection. And there's an integrative psychiatrist called Dr. Omid Name, and he actually talks a lot about, about this and about how when you actually have an, a genuine interaction with somebody physically in person, there is an energetic exchange that happens, which you cannot get online. And that what he also says is that connection is a felt sense, not something that happens, you know, over discussion or over thoughts. It's, it's actually a felt sense that you, you really kind of get more of in person. And social media and our online lives is actually taking away from that. And it means that actually some people are not even knowing what real true human connection feels like. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I've experienced the social media thing myself where I kind of liken it to a it's almost like being in a, a really lovely restaurant, seeing all these beautiful foods coming in and all these different dishes around you and actually not being able to actually eat them. It, it's almost like, you know, you've got all these people that you're just constantly seeing online and all these chats that you have, but you're not really getting that nourishment. You're not really getting yeah. that proper yeah. connection, that proper relationship with them. And, you know, also our, our lives now, a long time ago, we actually needed to be part of a tribe. We needed to be part of community for our survival. And we don't actually need that now. And we're becoming more and more independent. There's more solo living and we're seeing less community and we're seeing the, the psychological and physical health effects of that. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that's absolutely fantastic, Laura. You know, everything you said that you really, really hit the nail on the head. And I think, you know, what's happening as well is that we all spend so much time on social media, myself included, and we kind of get exposed to all these people. And, you know, mostly we see success stories. And, and now, you know, there's also this trend where people are being vulnerable online and showing their, you know, their whatever, their cellulite or talking about the depression or whatever. And it's, it's good. But there's a hormone release. You know, there's a very biological thing happening here. Like you say, that you can only get this genuine exchange with another human being face to face in real life because it's this process of building trust with someone. So that takes months and months and months of shared experience until you trust the person. And then when you trust them, you might start feeling confident in, in sharing your vulnerabilities. And this is what I kind of intuitively understood, but I'd never put it into language until I started reading Brené Brown. Now, if anybody out there is, you know, wants to learn more about vulnerability and, and connection and all that, Brené Brown's books are absolutely f- fantastic because it yeah. helped me understand the process of vulnerability and why it's important because you have to build this trust with another human being and then you have to share with them your vulnerabilities. It can be, I'm insecure, I'm jealous, I'm scared, I'm fearful of my job, fearful of losing my job, I'm fearful of, and they don't judge you and they don't you know, make you feel small for sharing your vulnerabilities, that's when that connection happens. That's when that oxytocin is released and those feel-good hormones because you realize, like, I can trust this human being. So, so suddenly, you know, your little tribe has grown by one. And that's, like you say, that's what we're missing. We're not having these face-to-face experiences and sharing our vulnerabilities, especially in terms of, like, you know, social media. So we all put our best sides on social media, as it were, so that when you are in public and maybe spending time with these real human beings that know you from social media, there's a pressure to be who you portray yourself as. And most of us aren't portraying ourselves honestly on social media. So therefore, we can't portray ourselves honestly in real life. And there goes the opportunity for real experience. Just to go back to Brenda Brown, because you just mentioned her, and I'm a huge fan of hers as well. I, I love the book and some of the stuff that she's been writing about really, really resonated with me and kind of got me thinking about a lot of things. But um, if I may, can I just read a quote that I like? So she she said, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irresistible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically and spiritually wired to love, to be loved and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. And I think that is, yeah, yeah, it resonates. Absolutely beautiful. You know, and that reminds me, like, as you were saying that, I don't know about you guys, but I've traveled a fair amount in the third world. And anybody who's traveled in the third world, they often will comment when they come back to London or New York or whatever, they'll say, you know what, in Africa or Asia or Latin America, as poor as those people are, they're all smiling. Yeah, totally. And they're all playing. And I think that's because, especially when you're poorer, you're forced to live in these very tight-knit communities and look after each other because, you know, there isn't enough to go around. So you have to support each other. And they just always seem happier. And that's always blown me away. Hmm. I think we've lost that sense of community, particularly in our our literal local communities. You know, it used to be that you knew all the neighbours on the road. You know, you would look after each other's kids. You would help each other out. Now, to a degree, that might still happen, but we've very much lost a real sense of that. I do know our, some of our surrounding neighbours, but not all of them. There certainly isn't a sense of connection anymore, I think, in, in these local environments. And 
that's probably contributed to things like crime figures as well as things like loneliness. But I was going to touch on, actually, or touch on, pun intended, oxytocin and something you mentioned, Laura, about, or Brian, one of you mentioned something about human touch. It was you, Laura. Yes. Talk a bit more about, about what you mean by that. Yes, absolutely. So this is something I'm really interested in and I became even more interested in it when I listened to a podcast, the Dr. Chatterjee one, Feel Better, Live More. And it was with Professor Francis McGlone and he is a world leading researcher in the area of touch. And he talks about touch being the forgotten sense and how it's actually a biological necessity and it's essential for healthy brain development. And he believes that it's a decline in this which is affecting our mental health. And he actually says that in order for us to just, in terms of our basic human survival needs, you know, our most very basic needs, along with, you know, food and water and things, we should be having seven good proper hugs a day. And so many people are not getting any hugs Mm. a day. And it's this lack of human touch that is having a significant impact I think on on the way that people feel and their mental health and and I experienced this myself recently actually I went to a a yoga open day and one of the workshops that they did was a it was a connection a physical connection workshop so it was looking people in the eye really connecting with them and then giving them a really long good hug you know and we did that you know several times and kind of swapped partners etc and people were being reduced to tears you could really feel the energy in the room and the power of it and at the end of the day when when people were asked what their favorite part of the whole day was most people were saying the hugs oh I wish we could just do all the hugging so it just really showed to me how much even though people might not be talking about wanting it maybe there's a bit of shame maybe there's a bit of like they feel awkward you know talking about it but it certainly seems to be something that people are really missing and really wanting and as Professor McGlone says, it is essential for healthy brain development and it actually has an effect not only on how we feel, but you know, on our physical, biological health. Yeah. I also read in an article about this Harvard study that the effect of good social connections actually protect the brain as well. So there isn't just psychological benefits, there's very physical benefits. And to, to come back to what you were mentioning, Laura, about the blue zones, So there's the power nine, which have been talked about quite a bit in recent podcasts. These nine characteristics of people who are in these various blue zones, which are areas where you have the highest proportion of centarians. And one of the power nine, as you said, was social connections. And these people literally had, they might have a happy hour, literal happy hour, where some of the old folk would walk quite some distance to share a locally pressed made wine for about an hour, Mm -hmm. chat and they gossip and they just put their feet up and chill out. But they would also be getting together as, as a family tribe, but also friends and family on a regular basis to literally offload and, and just connect and laugh and, and do some of that physical touch as well. Another interesting thing was a study a while back that I read, which looked at a group of people in an organization and figured out who was more stressed than the other. And they found that of this big group of people, the, the, the smokers in the building reported feeling less stressed than the non-smokers. Now, that's nothing to do with the nicotine itself, and I'm certainly not endorsing smoking as a way of socially connecting. But what they did find is that because they were getting out during the day, they were taking regular breaks, and then they were going out and they were connecting. They weren't having a solitary cigarette. They were, they were meeting with two or three people. 
connecting a little bit, maybe sharing some gossip, maybe arranging to go for a drink that evening. And they were going back in the building and feeling less stressed overall. So it's not the best example of it, and it's certainly not what we're endorsing, but it does have a home of the point that we need to connect, and it has a stress-reducing effect on our minds and bodies. That's absolutely fascinating, and it's annoying to hear that <laughs> smokers are doing better than us non-smokers. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if we were to take a, a, a five-minute break every hour, which is what yeah. smokers typically do, just to go and stand and have a chat? It just wouldn't be had. Yeah. You'd get fired. Uh, similarly, if we were going down to have a toss of whiskey or anything mm-hmm. more, you know, anything illegal, definitely yeah. wouldn't happen. So it's a bit of a funny one, the cigarette break. But anyway, let's not let's not disappear down there. I want to talk a bit about the effects on health of, but let's let's say that, that a lack of social connection or loneliness causes feelings of stress. Now, how might that manifest itself in, in terms of someone's health? Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I'm not sure that. You know, I had any other symptoms besides, you know, this this kind of deep sense of loneliness and that I was missing all this connection, you know. But in my situation, you know, I thought to myself, especially last year and the year before, when I really started noticing this this lack of connection that I was experiencing, I said to myself, Well, what are the options? Okay. So I want to I want to be closer to my best friends. Okay. So my options are, you know, move to Jersey, where my one best friend is, which I didn't want to do, move to Wales, where my other best friend is or move to South Africa where my other best friend and family is. And none of those options suit me. So I was like, well, you know, I could move to Jersey to be close to my best friend, but in a few months I'd be depressed because of other reasons, because I was in an environment that I didn't actually want to be in. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what Laura experienced. She said she felt some experience as well. So perhaps she could uh, let us know a little bit. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of my own experience, I think, what I've noticed in terms of the effects, it's, it's similar to what you said, Brian. I almost describe it as a just feeling a little bit kind of empty and like an anxious feeling, just feeling like something's missing, to be honest. And the reality is, it, it, there is something missing. Mm. So when we get that feeling of, of something missing or being a bit empty, it's because, you know, we, we really are missing something. And, and I, think, I think there's different ways that we can get connection, though. So, you know, even going to a class where you're hugging people and you're having physical contact that has you know a positive impact trying to build relationships whether it's joining groups creating your own group joining classes clubs all those kinds of things you know they're things that I've been trying to do to meet like-minded people and to have that experience of interaction with with others I think the thing that's the most challenging is actually the more community, tribe, social support, that that real togetherness. Because unless, as you said, Brian, earlier, it takes time to build that. And, you know, we really are losing it in terms of our culture and society. Most of us are not living like they do in the blue zones where they do have, you know, this real sense of, of tight community where everybody knows each other and, and everybody supports each other. So that is more of a challenge. And, you know, particularly when you're moving around, as you said, Brian, how do you actually create that and how do you create that real quality community of people that are also like minded? And I think that is really, for me, the, you know, the biggest challenge mm. you could be lonely in a in a room full of people as well it's really finding that genuine connection isn't it that you've got in common or shared experience 
Yeah, to, to add what Laura said in terms of, you know, impact on your health, there are studies that actually do say that social connection do have an impact on your physical well-being, physical, um, obviously, well-being, saying that it strengthens your immune system, for example. It decreases your inflammation, all that sort of stuff. You know, we can have them in the, I've got the link here, so we can have them to the show notes. But, you know, they are obviously, apart from, you know, the mental health aspect, also your body physically reacts to having deep, meaningful um, relationships, connections. Or not. Or not. Yes. Or not, yes. Yeah. I like the idea of, you were suggesting, Laura, of things that that people can do, proactive stuff that you did and others can do. And I think it's important as well to not only create new connections, but also nurture or reinvigorate or reopen old connections. So I'm thinking specifically of friendships that you may have let die or put out to pasture, metaphorically speaking, and try and reinvigorate some of those. I've done that, or other people have proactively re, you know, reapproached me over the years. So I've reconnected with friends that I've not really spoken to since school. And that's another thing, you know, you've got this past, and other people have shared it with you. And to your point, Brian, you know, that's when I think you get the deepest, richest connections, people you've known a long time, that know you really well and have evolved with you. So there's that as well. It's sort of looking, looking back and trying to reinvigorate old relationships as well as forming new ones. It's interesting yeah. that the four of us met, or Antonio and I met you guys at the Biohacker meetup, mm-hmm. which is a very, very specific thing, very niche. So, you know, I love the idea of, of going to a meetup or, or setting up your own meetup as well. I know someone who did that, she had a new twist on singles, in other words, finding a date. Couldn't really find the group that kind of suited the way she wanted to do it. So set up her own meetup and was amazed to find it was completely sold out. Oh, wow. So there were lots of other people looking to connect in that particular way. absolutely yeah i think that one of the things we definitely can do is i actually recently read a book by this awesome woman called rada agrawal and she wrote a book called belong and it's all about this need for belonging the impact on our health and actually how she talks you through a process of how to actually go about building your own community that really nurtures and nourishes you and that you can build over time. And she, she actually provides a, a framework to actually do that. So, you know, if you're feeling like you don't have your people around you and you really want to build a community, then things like that are really helpful to help us do it. And also something else I've, I've started doing recently is actually volunteering. That's another way that people can really get a sense of togetherness but I think specifically contribution because this is another component of the you know when I watched the human longevity project and they were talking with these centurions about their community and they were talking about contribution helping each other supporting each other and and that is really nourishing for our souls to actually be able to do that so actually volunteering and contributing and supporting others in that way can give you some of those really feel good chemicals as well as having your own your own communities that's a great idea what do you guys do for volunteering or contribution well, I, so it's two things that I'm now doing. One is for Age UK and I've become a befriender. <laughs> so that means you, you get allocated somebody to go and spend some time with once a week. And for some of these people, some of these older people, about 70% of them actually 
go a week or more without seeing anybody else. Wow. And I mean, I know what it feels like when I go a day without seeing people, but to go a week without actually having human interaction. So I think that's super powerful thing to be able to do. And then also the other thing is, is there is a local cooking project, which basically once a week invites members of the community who are either homeless or really, you know, low incomes or they're in vulnerable groups to come together and, you know, we cook them a, a meal. So there's a huge communal meal for those people. So, it, you know, you can really, really see just the impact of just basic things like getting together for, for one dinner. You can see the impact that that actually has on people. It's, it's very powerful. Mm, amazing. Yeah. Love it. I did some volunteering myself while I was in London there, like very similar to what uh, Laura was talking about, but I was, I was working with children, little toddlers. And I absolutely love that because they are so, you know, that age is so innocent and fun loving mm. and creative and, and beautiful and innocent. But I actually had to stop because I love the kids so much and I'm so playful with them that they, you know, they obviously got very attached to me very quick. So they would, always want to hug and hold hands and touch my face and touch my bald head. And, you know, the supervisors were always like, no, 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 no touching. You can't let them touch you. You've got to push them away. You've got to push them away. Yeah, and it just, you know, I started like having to push these three-year-olds away and, I, and telling them no. And I was just like, this isn't, you know, I didn't want to have to tell these innocent little kids that they couldn't, you know, express themselves as, as they felt naturally inclined. So I had to give that up, unfortunately. But one thing that I really try to do is I try to be myself as much as possible with people as soon as possible. And I've got a you know really crazy sense of humor. I've got a real extreme sense of humor, a real extreme personality where I'll say crazy shit, I'll I'll say you know really wild jokes. I offend people a lot of the time and it's not my intention, but it's just my way of being like this is who I am. You know, like I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for the sake of political correctness. I'm going to be who I am. And most people think it's hilarious and they enjoy spending time with me. And we can get to the, the real relationship, the real connection a lot quicker because I am so unashamedly myself that the right person who is receptive will appreciate it and then be themselves much quicker. Well, we love you being you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I quite like that actually, being being yourself as soon as possible. You know, so you know, as soon as I quite like this idea and I try I try to be as normal as I am. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to wear any sort of masks myself, you know, just being who I am. Yeah. I think that is a, that's great. I think that's really great. In terms of what I do is I work for Alzheimer's research. So I do obviously it's a course that's really close to my heart. And I feel, especially one of our older clients, she had early stages of Alzheimer's and it really resonated with me because I feel like people write her off really quickly. I mean, it's yes, she is a bit forgetful, but she is still a human being and she's still fun to be with. She's still fun to have discussions with. Um, and it's something that I feel sometimes I have missed out on my dad because it was just so... Yeah, it was, I was having uh, my dad uh, with Alzheimer's was just so overwhelming that I completely forgot the human side of it. And she kind of reminded me of, you know, of actually, I am still a human being. You can still talk to me. I'm not just ill, uh, you know. And mm. um, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to do, I think, to be able to connect with people on that level as well. 
so yeah, my project is is Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's research to fundraise and uh, you know, kind of getting people with early, early onset of Alzheimer's a sense of purpose still, that they're still you know, valuable. That's amazing. Yeah, so what I do is, is a couple of things. I, alongside Antonia, help to fundraise for Alzheimer's research. But the thing that I really enjoy, it's one of the most rewarding things that I do at the moment, I have talked about it in previous podcasts, is my volunteering work for a charity called Diversity Role Models. And they go into schools, we run workshops that I take part in. And the purpose of those workshops is to counter homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying in schools. And it's just a really, really rewarding thing to do. You tend to commit for a full day. You're in front of school kids of different ages, 11 up to 16 normally, sometimes younger. And I'm talking about my own personal story of coming out, but the broader workshop is designed to really highlight the power of your words predominantly, but also your actions on others and how that might make other people feel and what the broader ramifications are of of those feelings. And it's just an amazing thing to do. It feels great giving up time, not money, but time very rewarding. I have also met some friends through there. I've made a business contact through there. So it's just, and they obviously are not the primary, far from the primary reasons why I do it. But so that's one of the things that I do for contribution and volunteering. And I love that as an idea about, about connection. Cool. Amazing. Awesome. Leanne, I'd just like to pick up briefly on something that Brian said around when he was working with the kids and being told to, you know, not not hug them too much and, and things like that. We're seeing a lot of this, you know, these, I kind of call them bullshit rules, which is, you know, it's society creating these, these rules around, you know, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And the irony is that this is actually going against our natural human design against our natural human nature. And, and I see it everywhere, you know, even in businesses, people being overly cautious about, human contacts and and all of these things and I think that you know I would really really love to see in businesses people just hugging people actually having that contact and and not being afraid of it and I think that we all can do our little bit to to start actually normalizing connection and and human touch yeah incredible incredible I, I totally agree with you there you know it's it's so important and it and kind of goes back to a little bit how I always try and, you know, be, be myself straight away. And part of that is the touching, you know, obviously not inappropriate touching and, and there's different levels of touching. So, you know, when I first meet someone, it's, you know, it's kind of the upper arm and the shoulder and maybe the back, like upper back kind of touching area. And it's, it's a way of just saying like, you know, if someone's talking to me and I, and I might touch them on the shoulder or touch them on the back, it's, it's a way that I consciously do it because it's my way of saying like, I'm here, I'm listening I'm paying attention to you. Keep going, you know, share. It's safe for you to share. So, you know, that's so important, you know. But on the other hand, like I do understand it because especially in like cities like London, New York or whatever, there's millions and millions of people. And as much as we're all okay to go around touching strange people because we don't have weird intentions, there are some people out there that have those weird intentions. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we, we need these rules to protect, especially young people, vulnerable people, from people that have strange needs and, and weird brain habits. Yeah, it is a shame. And that's kind of why it's, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of the evolutionary talk and the evolutionary science is talking about how we're, we're supposed to live in small groups, you know, 100 people, small little village. And that way, you know, there's much less chance of there being some, some weird guy who's, 
not grown up properly because everyone just knows everyone from the day they were born and touching and hugging is it's, it's not weird it's very very normal yeah in some respects we're very slow to respond to to some of the things you know these, these massive cities have a lot of a lot of lot to answer for really in terms of our health and well-being yeah it's interesting what you say there about i can't remember where or you might know the source but anyway the, the study that found it wasn't even a study it just looked back at ancestral living and we used to live in clusters of as you say about 100 people because it was yeah. easy to weed out any wrong ones in a group that small. You had to pull your weight. Uh-huh. You had to look out for each other and all that stuff. But we could get back to that. I mean, coming back to my idea of, of really connecting with the community where you live, and that would be, as a takeaway, a great first step for people. Go out, and, and it doesn't matter if you've lived next door to them for eight years and never said hi. Take a box of roses or some more sophisticated form of chocolate or something, <laughs> or just knock on your neighbor's door and say, hi, I live next door. Is there anything I can do for you? here's my number if you ever need any help or whatever you're comfortable doing. But that would be a really good starting point. And I do think that we've made a lot of progress in some regards and then not very, you know, we've overdone it in other areas where we perhaps don't need to. And that whole, you know, what's acceptable in terms of touching, because there's a few wrong ones around, sure, but most people aren't. And it's yeah. a definite way of connecting with people, you know, that, that touch and that connection. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Leanne, you know, if you think about when we're born, when you have parents with babies, one of the most important things is having that skin contact, is having that touch. And, and actually, children that don't have that begin to show very severe psychological disorders quite quickly. You know, there are cases of, you know, for example, in you've probably seen, you know, years ago, there was lots of footage and press around orphanages in Romania. And the reason that these children were so psychologically disturbed was they put it down to the lack of touch and the lack of love. And we absolutely need to have that for our health. And, and I think it is, a, as you said, Brian, it is a tricky one because, you know, we do have to be careful. But at the same time, I think we've almost gone too far. And it's got to the point now where people are afraid to even look each other in the eye. You know, it's yeah. like if you spend any time on the tube in London, <laughs> people are just so closed off. And, you know, there is no eye contact even. So I think we need to sort of, you know, the more of us that start to challenge that and start to reach out and try and connect with others, I think that the more things will start to slowly shift. Yeah. You know, each of us here and and anybody listening, like we have to be the example ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's up to us to go out and in our day-to-day dealings, whether it's at the corner store or the train station with a bunch of strangers or you know, work or volunteer events, we have to be these examples to show that I am going to connect with you now in this very, very brief moment. I'm mm-hmm. going to look at you in the eyes. I'm going to smile. I'm going to nod. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to touch you. I'm going to touch yeah. you, you know, in a non-threatening way on your arms to show you, you know, on your shoulders that, that I'm here. For this moment, I'm here and I'm listening to you. That'll make the other person feel more relaxed. And then they're more likely to go like, wow, for some reason, I really like this guy. You know, they might not know why they like you, but that touch and Mm -hmm. that presence that we're bringing to them is creating those, you know, those hormonal responses in them and making them feel more relaxed and making them feel like they can trust you more. And then they might share a little bit more with you. And, And these are these little tiny sparks of connection that, you know, like ourselves, yeah, now that we're aware of it, we have to practice it. We have to go yeah. out and do it yeah. and share Absolutely. it. Yeah. 
But you know, you can only do that if you're really comfortable in yourself. And that I think is what a lot of it comes down to. My human connections improved when I, seven years ago, I left the city. I stopped dressing in a way that wasn't congruent with who I was. I stopped doing something that wasn't congruent with my values or entirely lacked a sense of purpose. And once I made all those changes, started dressing the way I want, doing what I want, mixing with people who I felt better reflected, you know, the type of community I wanted to be in. Human connections did improve, overall health massively improved, but there were lots of other factors as well. And it's much easier to connect with others and to want to do things Mm -hmm. like helping others, little gestures. I don't like random acts of kindness, you know, that that are then broadcast. But, (laughs) you know, there are these websites where you can upload your random act of kindness for the day. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. But when you just go out and you do something for somebody else, it makes you feel good. You get a really nice dose of hormones. But all of that stuff that we will all be doing, I'm sure, naturally, from holding doors for people to offering to help someone off off a bus or a tube with their buggy, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and the volunteering work that we're doing, all of that is a key part of health as well, I think, because that's what all this comes back to. You know, we're a organization or company that's around health and longevity. This podcast is designed to improve health and longevity. And I think if people can get behind some of these ideas, they will do just that and feel really good as they go about it. I think you said something really important there, actually, in the sense that, you know, in order to kind of start being more sociable or, you know, going out there doing the first step and looking out for these connection with other people, you have to be confident within yourself or, you know, Mm -hmm. at ease with yourself. I think there's a huge, huge factor, which most people probably underestimate. I mean, especially in a city like London, I think, you know, a lot of this is distorted or a lot of the connections come from the wrong places. Like, Mm -hmm. or do you drive the right car? Do you have the house? Do you go to the holidays, the same holidays? You know, it's a bit, a little bit more pretentious and they look for the connection on those kind of levels. But I think, people need to understand that you have to start with your first. I mean, it sounds a bit like a cliche, but it is really true. You know, as long as you're not comfortable within yourself, you cannot make any social connection, true, meaningful connection. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think personally, when I think about connection, I think about it in terms of with others, but also connection to ourselves. So, so as you're saying, you know, really understanding ourselves, you know, living authentically, And that really gives you that sort of self-assurance and that confidence and that inner happiness that you can then start to sort of take that outwardly. You know, what was really powerful for me, you know, just to touch back on what Antonia said about, you know, you have to be confident and feel comfortable with yourself. A mindset change that I had to create for myself that really boosted my confidence is when I deeply understood that everybody's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. because I thought I was the only one that was uncomfortable I thought I was the only one that was unsure of myself and unsure about how to behave in certain social situations but then when I realized that everyone is uncomfortable everyone is unsure no one knows what they're doing that made me feel more confident yeah it was like I understood that you know although I feel vulnerable and exposed in a social situation so does everybody else and knowing that everyone else is uncomfortable as well, it made it easier for me to put the hand on the shoulder and say, hey, how are you? Come over here. We're just talking about this. What do you think? To create this safe and positive social environment for you know, strangers that I was hanging out with, being confident in the fact that everybody's uncomfortable. Yeah, I love that, Brian. I completely agree. I think when we realize that actually we're all human beings, we all have the same deep, deep down, we all have the same you know, vulnerability and worries and fears and, Mm -hmm. and all of those things. And you're right, you know, 
nearly everybody I speak with, if I'm open and vulnerable with them and I tell them, you know, about how I feel, they will tell me, actually, I feel the same. And and it's true that everybody is feeling this stuff. This is not an unusual thing. And when you realize that, I think that really helps to kind of, you know, make you feel more together and, and not separate. Yeah. And that's why I think having social media rules at the very least or maybe even thinking you know what this platform's not for me can really help because if you're working through any insecurities or anything like that social media can be an absolute nightmare yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. you know I, i toyed with instagram and i came off it a few months ago for two reasons being totally honest one my dog had more followers than me (laughs) because I can't be bothered well because maybe she's more popular and I post more interesting but I can't be bothered with all the hashtags and I just wanted to post a few pictures that were for me not the business but I also thought actually Instagram is about pictures obviously it's about showy colors showing off Mm. you know filters and none of that is me None of it. So what am I doing on Instagram? So I came off. I wasn't getting Instagram envy or anything. Well, I guess in a way I was, I was keeping an eye on, on the followers. But I think it's just not a good place, not good playground for anyone to be in if you are working through any of these insecurities. And, and even then, I think it's got to be just a side thing for yeah. you anyway, not getting too caught up in it all. Yeah. And I think the reality is we can't completely escape from our phones and and from social media, but there's things we can do. For example, like I try one day a week to do a digital detox where I actually turn the internet off on my phone. Yes. For a whole day (laughs) and things like turning off notifications. And I think anything we can do to become less dependent and less addicted to social media and focus more of our energy on actual real life connection and real relationships. 100%. Totally agree. Okay, well, that's probably a pretty cool place to wrap this up. For anyone listening, we'll link to everything in the show notes first off. So we've mentioned quite a few books and and other things like the Blue Zones and Human Longevity Project. We'll link to all of that. Are there any other resources that you guys would suggest people go to if they're interested in any of the the many things that we've talked about? For me, it's, it's all been experience, you know, like it's stuff that I noticed, you know, when I noticed when I behaved in certain ways, it helped other people change the way they behaved and and made the social situation a little bit more comfortable for everyone else. And, you know, so for me, it was really getting out there and just, just being conscious that everyone around me is feeling insecure. And when I realized that it made me feel more open to them and I was more open to just having a real connection. So for me, it was just being conscious in day-to-day life, really. Yeah, for me, it would be a similar thing in terms of self-reflection. I think, you know, sometimes just sitting, taking five to ten minutes out of the day and just think, you know, actually, how am I feeling? What is going on with me? Why did I react the way I did today? And build from there. And the other thing, I mean, the other thing, I'm a huge fan of Brené Brown. It's the other thing I would mention. I like her books. They really resonated with me. So yeah, anyone interested, grab a book. Which one was the first one? I can't really remember the title now. The one that you read as well. Daring Greatly? Yeah, that's exactly the one. Grab a copy of that. It's a really good book. Cool. Laura, do you want to say anything before we sign off? Yeah, I think for me, just in terms of resources, as I mentioned, I really love the book Belong, which can really help people to 
identify what matters to them and to help them to build their own communities which is very empowering and so if anybody wants to do that and feels like they want to create more community for themselves that's a great resource and then there's also a couple of podcasts that I think are really helpful if people are interested the touch one that I mentioned with Professor Francis McGlone and there's another one actually with a guy called Cal Newport who's a professor and author who looks at the impact of technological innovations on our culture. And, and there's one around how social media is making us ill and what we can do about it. So that those are two of my kind of favorite ones. So perhaps we can share the links to those as well. Yep, we'll do that. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Guys, thank you very much for sharing episode number 100 with me. It's been really good. I hope if you're listening in, you've enjoyed it as well. That's it from us. We'll speak to you next week. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.